We're back again. It's Chase and Josh with Factor Fantasy. That's Chase and I'm Josh, and we're here to give you part seven of Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, where today we're going to be discussing part two of the film and the differences between that film and the novel. Last week, if you joined us, you know that we actually finished the entire novel of Fellowship of the Ring, and today we're going to close it out in its entirety, like I said, comparing that novel to this film. And so I'm really excited to kind of put Fellowship of the Ring behind us. It does seem like it kind of flew by pretty quickly. But uh, yeah, I will say, you know, before we even get started with it, that uh, there's a very big noticeable difference in the film and the movies here talking about Lord of the Rings versus, let's say, ones we've done with Harry Potter in the past. So, and and, in a good way, I promise, in a good way, guys. So, (laughs) well, we'll get into that a little bit. It's, uh, it's going to be a fun one here today. Before we jump into those differences, I'm going to turn it over to Chase. Let him say a few words, and then we'll get after it. Yeah, man. This is going to be one of the fun ones today. So, And I think it's, I love what they did with this film. It was like jumping back into my childhood. Like I was sitting in the theater seat back in 2001 in the sixth grade. It's fantastic. I wanted to pull out my broadsword. But, uh, you know, we always got to play it safe. So here we are breaking it down for you today. I'll let Josh take it away. Cool. Uh, so before we jump into the differences, kind of give a quick recap of what we went over last week, just in case this is your first time joining us. Uh, last week we talked about the last three chapters of The Fellowship of the Ring and the first chapter of The Two Towers, because as we're going to find out here today... Uh, there's an important part that ends and closes out this film where it's actually a little bit different between where it closed out uh, of the book and where it started the Two Towers novel. So we are going to do that uh, to talk a little bit about what we went over. We went over the fact that they left Lorien with some gifts from Galadriel. They were taking the boats down the Anduin Great River there. Uh, they had to make a decision if they were going to go the east or west. And on the west, it, on the west it kind of had... Uh, there was some life to it. It seemed like the like the safe road, and then the east really looked like the dangerous road, or dark, desolate. I even got like shot at by some orcs over there with some arrows. Uh, you know, from there they they get to that little spot called Amenhen, where uh, it's like this high seat up on the very very top of the hill. You know, we got to go through that really cool, and we'll see it here in the film too. The like between the two pillars of uh, men and how they looked, and you know how that's described. They come to that spot, you know, they just got to make that final decision if they're going to go east or west. Frodo's like, hey, give me an hour to think about it, and I'll come back with an answer. He goes off, Boromir follows him, tries to take the ring from him. He puts the ring on to escape, and as that happens, uh, Aragorn and Legos and Gimli and Merry and Pippin and Sam are back at the campsite talking about, you know, hey, like, where are we going to go with this, and... You know, they realize Boromir's missing. They realize Frodo's been gone way longer than an hour. So they all start, like, running around in a panic trying to find Frodo. Uh, Aragorn, like, tries to go up to that top of the Amenhen seat and see if he can find him. But he hears the Horn of Gondor and also, uh, he, like, hears the voices of the orcs, realizes they're under attack. He goes to run and try to aid Boromir, but he's a little too late. We get to that point where there's a bunch of feathers, uh, the arrows that are stuck and lodged in Boromir's body. Over 20 orcs lay around him. Merry and Pippin had been taken. Boromir tells Aragorn he went to take the ring. Uh, you know, tells him not to let Minas Tirith fall. And then that was the last of our guy Boromir. He did die in that moment. Legos and Gimli kind of come in a little bit uh, afterwards. They see everything that happened. 
they make like a funeral boat for him, fill it with like the weapons of his dead enemies and his own stuff too, like his shield, his uh, horn, his sword, all that great stuff, the belt that Galadriel gave him. And, you know, they push that uh, boat towards the Roras Falls. And, you know, that was the end of Boromir. And obviously Frodo ended up breaking away from the Fellowship, was going to go on his own to the east side. Sam ends up figuring out where he's going to go just in time. He jumps in that water. Frodo's got to grab him and bring him up uh, aboard. And so now we got Frodo and Sam going to the east to Mordor alone. Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli decide they're going to pursue the orc herds that took Merry and Pippin captive. And that's kind of where we left off. And so uh, that's what we talked about last week. Now we're going to kind of go in and talk a little bit about the differences between, you know, what we just went over and some of the things we went over between part one of the movie, you know, a couple weeks ago. You know, from where that point onwards, that's what we're going to cover today throughout the film. So uh, the first difference that I really notated here on my end was Aragorn telling Elrond that he does not want the power to wield the remade sword. In the book, it's remade there in Rivendell, Rivendell, and Aragorn takes it right from Rivendell on the quest. Like it's like remade right there at the council. <laughs> they he grabs it and goes with him, and he has that play with him. In the films, it's very much different. He like he like hides from it, doesn't want that sword, you know, and it, that'll come up into play next movie. No, I'm sorry, not next movie. Two movies from now, uh, the, towards the very end. Uh, the sword will make an appearance. I'll, I'll say that for a little bit of a foreshadow, but it's not how it happened in the book. In the book, he was given the remade sword right there in Rivendell and took it with him immediately. Uh, the next thing I had was, you know, Bilbo gets that scary demon face when he sees the ring on Frodo in the movie. In the book, it just says there was like a shadow cast over Bilbo's face and Frodo had the urge to strike him. It was like a little bit different there, so I thought that was something worth notating. Um, I also thought this was funny, a little addition that the the movie did to make it comical like when the, he said the the fellowship awaits the ring bearer and he leaves Rivendell he doesn't know which way to go he's like Gandalf which way do I turn left or right and was like hey take a left man so I thought that was pretty funny and the last one I'll just talk about before I turn it over to Chase is um in the book the initial plan was to climb the red horn gate pass under the far side of Caradhras not go on the southern road like the movie insinuates so that's another thing there too that I think is really important because it, it kind of cuts off a part of the journey and it, it goes almost in a way that's out of order in terms of what the plan was for the journey from the movie and from the novels. And so that being said, I'll turn it over to Chase to give some of his takeaways away. Yeah, uh, no, I thought that thought that was great. One thing I do want to say about these films, the soundtrack and scenery is absolutely phenomenal. Like it's actually become kind of iconic for the films. But yeah, just like you were saying, kind of just piggybacking off you for a minute on Bilbo, like just saying that was like terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) Somewhat uncomfortable in a way, scary. And then I felt I did like the way it was portrayed because you almost felt more sorry for him. Like when he was saying, I'm so sorry, my dear boy, I'm sorry for everything. You almost feel bad for Bilbo in a way. So I thought that was portrayed really well. Um, Next big kind of difference I had here, I really like how I talked about this last week. This is your boy here, Boromir, uh, Eddard Stark, man, Sean Bean, is training Merry and Pippin. You never got to see that in the novels, which is really cool because it kind of feeds on to you are able to see an insight into almost like how their relationship could have grown, how he could have gotten closer to these hobbits. So I thought it was good. 
Um, also, you know, Aragorn and Boromir have this interesting interaction, which almost like foreshadowed kind of in a way on Boromir's, I don't want to say downfall, but like his giving into the ring. And he says, a strange thing to suffer so much fear and doubt because of such a small thing. And Aragorn says, Boromir, give the ring to Frodo. And Boromir says, as you wish. And it kind of like foreshadowed. This was when they were in like that like mountain-ish kind of area. Um, it kind of like foreshadowed almost like um, Boromir was going to try to like take the ring at some point. Um, and then I, this one on top more of that difference. too, just to, to talk about what you were yeah. saying there. If, I don't know if people watch this; it's a very small moment, and maybe it's easy to miss. Mm-hmm. But after he gave the ring back, and like the screen panned out, it turned back, and like Aragorn had his hand on the sword; like he was ready to do yeah. battle if he, he had did. to. So that was something I think is very important. But yeah, keep, go ahead and continue on. Yeah, no, that was great. That was a great point. Um, and then uh, I did like this badass ad here. This was really cool. It showed Saruman the White with the orcs. And he said, if the mountain defeats you, you will risk a more dangerous road. And then he's like chanting spells about the mountain. And it was making like almost like the mountain interact. Like remember when I said all my takeaways from that was it snowed a lot. (laughs) But like it made it more like intense for me. Almost like he was kind of like casting like bad juju on him or something so i thought it was i thought it was cool uh almost gave like more of an intense feel to it so back to you man for sure there's a couple things i gotta do to catch up with you there um in the movie gimli is the one who suggests they go through moria where in the Mm -hmm. book it's actually gandalf and aragorn debating about it long and hard before the mountain basically gives them no choice but in the novel, Gimli was not as excited to go through Moria, where in the film, Gimli's like, we should pass through the mines! Like, he was so excited about it. But that's just, uh, that's false. Like, uh, that is a direct contradiction in a way. Um, Gimli didn't really want to go through it because he, f- he thought something bad had happened there. Uh, and so I thought that was important to talk about. Also, when the, the birds came and that, like, the wisp of smoke, like, like they call him uh, Kreben from Dunlin, like, in the movie, they're spies of Saruman. They were not characterized as such in the book. Also, it, it was in the book, it was Aragorn is the one who calls them out. In the movie, it's Legolas. So I thought that was pretty cool how they kind of switched up who they were going to give that part to. And um, yeah, they definitely were not spies of Saruman in, in the novel. Also, this is where the movie, like the day they cannot take the road south now because they're being watched, they take the backup option in trying uh, Karadras. But in the books, Karadras was the first option because Aragorn raised the concern that they don't know who Rohan now serves and they don't want to risk that road. So I thought that, you know, again, there's just a little bit of uh, contradictory parts of, you know, the paths they're going to take to, you know, continue their journey towards Mordor. Uh, the, the, the The part where you really started your differences there in this next aspect is kind of where I'm at now. They add this whole part in the movie where Frodo drops the ring and Boromir picks it up. That actually doesn't happen in the book. That's just an addition that you were talking about. Uh, like I said, the, the, the Kremlin apparently report to Saruman in the movie. And when you were talking about you know, Saruman manipulating the weather and causing that avalanche of snow on the Fellowship, which makes him turn back in the film, in the book, it's actually referenced, and I'll read the exact passage, that it could be Sauron governing the storms, not Saruman. And that's on page 323 
the last paragraph through the split in the page on page 324 on and this again this is my novel so it, it might be different in, in the people who want to read this along but uh, so it goes like this he goes I don't like this at all panted Sam just behind snows all right on a fine morning but I do like to be in bed while it's falling I wish this slot would go off to Hobbiton folk might welcome it there except on the high moors of the north farthing a heavy fall was rare in the shire and was regarded as a pleasant event and a chance for fun no living hobbit save bilbo could remember the fell winter of 1311 when white wolves invaded the shire over the frozen brandywine and gandalf halted snow was thick on his hood and shoulders it was already ankle deep about his boots this is what i feared he said what do you say now aragorn that i feared it too aragorn answered but less than other things I knew the risk of snow, though it seldom falls heavily so far south, save high up in the mountains. But we are not high yet. We are still far down, where the paths usually open all winter. I wonder if this is a contrivance of the enemy, said Boromir. They say in my land that he can govern the storms and the mountains of shadow that stand upon the borders of Mordor. He has strange powers and many allies. And Gimli says, his arm has, low grown, has grown long indeed if he can draw snow down from the north to trouble us here 300 leagues away. And Gandalf says, his arm has grown long. So right there, it really insinuates that it's Sauron himself manipulating the weather, not Saruman casting spells, making it come down on them like the movie showed. So big difference there. Uh, then I thought this is the part they left out of the movie. I thought it would have been nice to see kind of like the strength of the two men. Aragorn and Boromir carving a path through the snow with their own limbs and their own bodies was a, what, like, what happened in the books, and I thought that would have been kind of cool to see. But that doesn't really happen in the movie. It's not a big part, but definitely something I would have liked to see. And uh, also, this part really doesn't happen in the films either when Aragorn foreshadows Gandalf's death. He's you know saying something along the lines like, if you pass the doors of Moria, beware. Like talking specifically to Gandalf. That, that, that foreshadow doesn't happen in, in the film. So, uh, with that being said, though, I'll turn it back over to you. Yeah, and, uh, no, that was perfect because I'm right kind of at that area there. Uh, this was um, not exactly done this way in the book in the, when they decided to go through the mines. Because remember, Gandalf, you know, he had the thoughts to go through the mines already, but he was trying to avoid it, and then they just decided to go. He kind of gives Frodo the choice in the film and i like what how you have saruman the white here that's like narrating almost gandalf's thoughts which made it more intense and he says moria you fear to go in those mines the dwarves delved too greedily and too deep you know what they awake in the darkness kaza doom shadow and flame and then gandalf says let the ring bearer decide and Frodo, that's when he says, we will go through the mines. And Gandalf says, so be it. So I, I kind of like the way they did that because it it kind of even showed in a way like Gandalf really t wanted to avoid the mines. Um, the, I thought the door was great. It looked exactly how I imagined it based on like the book. And they even, as Saruman the White was giving that narration there, they even show kind of like what looked to be like the illustration of the book there for just a minute um and then uh one ad that i thought was cool you know gandalf really does not like pippin i don't think because when they were he was trying to figure out the password this was not in the novel but pippin said what are you going to do then 
<laughs> Gandalf gets pissed and says, Knock your head against the door, Peregrine Duke. And if that <laughs> that does shatter it, then I'll be allowed a little peace from foolish questions. And I will try to find the opening words. <laughs> He's, I just like that ad because like, I really don't think he likes Pippin. Um, and uh, this was a really cool ad here. Um, it was remember in the novel when I called it the Kraken. What's that like sea creature that they run into? Yeah, it could be a Kraken, an octopus. I don't know, man. I said I said the same thing. Yeah, I didn't know what it was called, but they in the film they went into the mines first and almost tried to escape. Whereas in the novels. It was even like they had to run into the mines to get away from it. And it was like even holding the doors at some point, the Kraken thing was. And Boromir says, this isn't a mine, it's a tomb. And Legolas picks up an arrow and just goes, goblins. And Boromir said, we make for the gap of Rohan. We should have never come here. And this is when Gimli, of course, he's like seeing the skeleton. He's like, no, he's crying, doing his Gimli things. That's that's what he does, you know. That's why why he's there. <laughs> and poor Mir says, now get out of here, get out. And then you have this really awesome scene where basically they're forced uh, to go back in there because of this Kraken thing they got to fight off. And Gandalf says, we have but one choice: we must face the long dark. Of Moria, beyond your guard, there are older and fouler things than orcs in deep places of the world. Quietly now, it's a four-day journey to the other side. Let us hope that our presence may go unnoticed. And um, yeah, so, I mean, I just thought it was a really cool ad. It almost showed like they tried every option and realized they were in a bad spot there and try could try to figure something out, but they were forced into it. So, yeah, and I'll send it back to you, man. So I think we we disagree for sure on this one. I didn't like this is one of the few things I didn't like about the movie, like that weird monologue that Saruman has to himself, saying that Gandalf knows what the dwarves awoke in Moria, shadow and flame. But if you guys remember the book, Gandalf had no idea what that was. Like he had no clue that that was awoken. That was not anything part of it. Gandalf wasn't that afraid to go through Moria. It was actually Gandalf's like preferred option over Cataras, but. Um, Aragorn kept talking him into continuing the mountain, and then he tried it, and Gandalf's like, "Look, Moria's not going to be like the easiest thing, but I think this might be like the next option." What do you think, Frodo? And that's how it kind of went in the book, when he has no idea that this shadow and flame was awoken. So to have that just put out there like that, just added it for no reason, and it kind of like took away a little bit of the mystery. I really liked how the book did it better. But uh, anyways, in the books, the company gets attacked by a pack of wolves. That doesn't happen in the movie. That would have been cool to see. Would have liked to see that. Um, Gandalf gives Frodo a warning about evil without without and within the Fellowship, foreshadowing what happens with Boromir. Um, but I really do think that they overplay Boromir's lead-up to taking the ring in the films. It's not really the same in the book. He's kind of like a normal guy. Like, there's like two or three instances, but they're very fleeting, and, and you know they're, they're tough to catch if you know he's really going to do anything. But the film really makes it known that he's going to do something stupid. So... Um, that's one of the differences I had there. Uh, in the movie, Frodo asks Gandalf what the elven word for friend is and opens the doors of Moria. In the book, Gandalf actually ended up figuring it out on his own after a time, so that was a little bit of a difference. Uh, in the movie, it was Merry and Pippin who were throwing rocks into the Black Lake before the doors of Moria, disturbing the Kraken or Octopus. In the book, it was actually Boromir who threw the big stone in there. Another little difference there. 
talked about this already, but Gimli was definitely not as excited about Moria in the books like they portray him to be in the movie. But uh, in the book, the Kraken, Octopus grabs Frodo before they get inside the doors of Moria. I think you mentioned this. In the movie, we see the dead dwarves first, and they try to retreat out, and that's when the Kraken grabs Frodo. So it's a little bit different there. Uh, the tentacles in the book, they close the doors and bar it from the outside. But I do like how the movie made it seem like the Kraken was trying to pursue them into the, the mines. And because it was so strong and pulling itself out of the water, it caved in the walls and the door. Uh, when, and that's kind of what seems more realistic to me, actually, and how big and strong that this creature was, that it would kind of rip the doors off this, the sides and the, the rest of the rock would crumble down and, and really bar the way out. So I definitely like the movie's uh, version of that a little better. Also, in the movie, Gandalf tells Frodo that Gollum has been following them for three days. In the book, that doesn't happen. Frodo just thinks he hears a separate set of footsteps following them, but that's all. He never gets confirmation that it's Gollum in the actual film at this point in time. Uh, also, Gandalf insinuates that Gollum was set free from Barad-dûr, which is in Mordor, where in the books, Gollum escapes from the elves in Mirkwood, according to Legolas, which he said in the council. So, uh, that's definitely... Just random. That is just a random ad for no reason. I don't think. I don't know why they had to to add that. Uh, yes, and this is one more before I turn it over to to Jace. Is like in the books, Gandalf has Gimli take the book of Mazarbul and bring it back to Dane. Where in the movie, he just puts it down and everyone kind of forgets about that book. Talking about what ended up happening to the dwarves in Moria, and that's when you hear like the big drums like thudding and all that. And I'll let Jace kind of talk. That um, that monologue, I'm sure that he has it, you know, before the orcs start coming. So I'll uh, I'll turn it <laughs> you over. Know, I love the monologues. <laughs> yeah, I'll turn it over to Chase now uh, and g- give this part to him. Yeah, I, you know, man, I kind of liked the monologue with Frodo and Gandalf. I thought it was kind of like I didn't really see a point of it being in there, but have some cool quotes, man. I'm gonna read these quotes real quick because it it was kind of. It kind of showed me in a way, like Gandalf was saying, don't be afraid to pull the trigger here. Like, don't be afraid to take action for yourself. But yeah, you're right. Like, it had, it was in, it was really entirely contradictory of the book. So I didn't really agree with it, but I thought the quote was cool. Frodo says, there's something down there. And Gandalf says, it's Gollum. He's been following us for three days. And Frodo says, he escaped the dungeons of Barador. And Gandalf said, escape or set loose and now the ring has drawn him here he will never be rid of it he has a need for it he hates and loves the ring he hates and loves himself Smeagol's life is a sad story yes Smeagol he was once called before the ring found him before it drove him mad Frodo said it's a pity Bilbo didn't kill him when he had the chance and Gandalf said it's pity that stayed Bilbo's hand Many that live deserve death, and some that die deserve life. Can you give it to them, Frodo? Do not be too eager to deal out death and judgment. Even the very wise cannot see all ends. My heart tells me that Gollum has some part yet to play, yet for good or out before this is over. The pity of Bilbo may rule the fate of many. Frodo says, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. And Gandalf said, so do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to do is what to do with the time that is given to us. There are other forces at work and in this world, Frodo, besides the will of evil. Bilbo was meant to find the ring, in which case you also were meant to have it, and that's an encouraging thought. 
it's not really that important but it's kind of like an iconic line because that line comes like full circle towards the end but yeah it was entirely contradictory of the book <laughs> but the line was cool so um yeah just like where jay nelly was saying gandalf reads the book left by balin and he says they have taken the bridge in the second hall we have barred the gates but we cannot hold them for the long ground shakes drums drums in the deep we cannot get out a shadow moves in the dark we cannot get out they are coming and i just thought that was badass it was an absolutely badass monologue i wish they had put more information on what happened with balan in the books uh so i thought that was a cool interesting kind of add and then uh just one more here and i'll turn it back over to jay nelly in the movie it wasn't like Pippin just tossed a stone in like he knocked the entire fucking skeleton down the well <laughs> like it's like what the fuck remember like even like aragorn legolas boromir all of them were even like jeez man like damn like you're trying to make sure you're not like caught and like escape through this area i'm just loud as fuck man <laughs> stomping through here and i'll turn it back to jay nelly sounds good like i'm sure you're gonna break it down more than i will uh but i just thought that the battle in the tomb room was badass in the movie like it was it was very very close to how i read it in the book but to see it on screen was beautiful uh i thought it was really cool to see the abilities like the the troll thing where bormir cut his sword like like broke like kind of put a dent in his sword wasn't there i wish that kind of part would have been in there to see how strong like a troll's hide is um but uh, and then you know when Frodo stabs the the troll's foot with Sting in the uh, book, it actually penetrates it because it's an elven blade. And I thought that that's pretty cool, um, you know. But outside of that, they did a really great job with the battle in here. The only like real big difference I saw in the battle is like in the book it was actually an orc chieftain who hits Frodo with the spear. In the movie, it was the cave troll itself. Um, also, this is. This is another big part, and this is kind of what I talked about, why I didn't like Saruman's monologue talking about, you know, what you awoken uh, in the deep or whatever, or what they awoken in the deep of Moria when they, you know, dug too far. So the movie doesn't show Gandalf go flying down the steps and almost being destroyed like the book described. And that, that's actually right. described here on page 366. I'm just going to go ahead and read that out to, you know, give evidence and support my claim here. Um, but let's take a look said well well that's over said the wizard struggling to his feet i have done all that i could but i have met my match and have nearly been destroyed but don't stand here go on you'll have to do without light for a while i am rather shaken so like that really shows you yeah and, and even like I, even just like a couple sentences before this like the drum beats broke out wildly doom boom doom boom and then stopped and gandalf came flying down the steps and fell to the ground in the midst of the company so like that that was all left out of the movie and for me uh all it does is like he's high he met he met his match he doesn't even know what it does he's like what the fuck was that <laughs> you know so i definitely right. thought that is something i would have liked to see more in in depth and definitely not you know ruined by Saruman a couple scenes ago <laughs> uh yeah and i thought then, it was cool man i thought it was cool i liked it i disagree i thought it was great I liked how he read the story. It was like telling a little fairy tale or something. <laughs> I just feel like it ruined the mystery. Like for me, like in reading this book, you didn't know what it was. You know, it was really cool. Yeah, that's like, true. Like that—that's kind of like the more terrifying thing about monsters is just the unknown about them. 
you know, like they, they kind of just gave it away. They even, even like you said, like the fairy yeah. tale book that Saruman was flipping through, it showed like a, <laughs> a picture of the Balrog in shadow and flame. And it's like, what the hell, man? Like, give it, give it away. Yeah, I agree. Man. I agree. That was kind of ridiculous. Yeah, it was basically like someone made an illustrated copy of, of the Fellowship of the Ring, and he was flipping through it, reading it. <laughs> Go for it. Yeah, just a couple more things before I turn it back over to you. In the book, it was Legolas who told Gandalf that the enemy approaching was a Balrog, which that is on page 370. Mm-hmm. And it says, Aye, aye, wailed Legolas, a Balrog, a Balrog has come. And Gimli stared with wide eyes. Durin's bane, he cried, letting his axe fall as he covered his face. A Balrog, muttered Gandalf. Now I understand. He faltered and leaned heavily on his staff. What an evil fortune, and I am already wary. So that just shows like he didn't know what the fuck it was, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So like that's like that, you know. I thought that was definitely important. Um, I also thought it was the movie kind of did a a funny little dramatization here when all of the orcs circled them, and it was you could see it was like tons and tons so cool. of orcs, like they were screwed. And then all of a sudden they hear like the the sound of the Balrog, and they all scattered. Uh, I thought that was kind of funny, and also showed like a really sick shot in the dark by Legolas, like he just. Yeah. flung one from the bridge and it just you could see it followed the, the the camera followed the arrow through like winding ways and cut the caught the uh, orc right where they needed to, to to drop it thought that was pretty badass um and then i thought there was a funny ad by the movie when they were running down and the uh the bridge was kind of breaking there was a gap in it and, and this never happened in the books but i thought it was really funny it was like nobody tosses a dwarf and then he tries to <laughs> yeah. Then he tries the jump and almost doesn't make the jump. He had to grab him by the beard to pull his ass up. So I thought that was pretty cool. And then the last thing before I turn it back over to Chase is, you know, we finally see what the Balrog looks like on screen. And it looks fucking badass in the film. Like, that's great CGI for 2001. Like, it still holds yeah, up today. So thought that was pretty cool. And with that being said, I'll, I'll turn it back over to you. Yeah, man. Now I'll catch up to you. I don't have the troll thing broken down too much, but... I gotta go over the the Balrog, <laughs> the Balrog, yeah. And then uh, Jay Nelly is gonna take the big climax of uh, of today's episode. But this is my story time, which isn't really story time. I'm about to blow through this, <laughs> anyways. Uh, so, uh, but as they're starting with the cave troll here, I thought this was really cool. So they started like coming through the doors like you can see how they barred themselves in and legolas and aragorn are shooting orcs through the doors and gimli this is where i bring up the fact like the jokester like he was standing on that tombstone he goes let them come what are you gonna do <laughs> but that's okay I'll, he he tries to do some work i give it to him he, kill, he kills a couple of orcs maybe gets a few swings in on that troll but uh, your boy Boromir goes, ah, <laughs> they have a cave troll. <laughs> like, I thought that was really cool. I love the way it was added because you really didn't see a whole lot of like that interaction in the novel, which was cool. Uh, great ads. Um, but Aragorn like cuts off the head of an orc. Legolas puts an arrow through another one's head. Boromir gets knocked to the ground at one point, and then Aragorn like takes. This was really cool. Almost like a, like Bullseye or something in the Marvel Universe. Aragorn takes a throwing knife and throws it like right through an orc and it lands on the ground. Gimli, this is his big moment, man. He hits the cave troll by throwing his axe. That was cool. I'll give you props on that. But the boy Legolas shoots two arrows right through the cave troll. Because you know why? 
Because he does real damage. <laughs> That's why. Anyways, then the cave troll. This was really cool because it really kind of related to the novel in a way and reminded me of when they were with Haldor, Haldir, whatever his name is, the elf, and they were running across like the bridges because the cave troll tries to whip Legolas with the chain and he runs across the chain, jumps up on the troll's head and then puts two through his head. Um, and then the troll goes after Frodo, Aragorn stabs it with a spear, but gets knocked out, and then the troll pins Frodo to the wall, and that's when he stabs him. Uh, Merry and Pippin, you know, they're jumping on the troll, stabbing him, getting emotional, and then the group makes their way to Frodo, try about to engage in combat with the troll, and my boy Legolas saving the day! We're just Legolas all day! Legolas for MVP, man! Legolas for MVP puts an arrow from the bottom of its throat through its head. It like makes this moaning sound, falls to the ground. Legolas takes out a whole cave troll on his own basically. No one helped out at all. It was all Legolas by himself. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm giving you guys all the time. Anyways. Uh, but Frodo was saved from wearing the mithril, uh, mithril chainmail there, which is cool. And Aragorn says, that spear would have skewered a boar. And Gimli says, you're full of surprises, Master Baggins. And then the group runs across the bridge, and that's where Jay and Ellie was talking about. They were surrounded by orcs. It was badass. Then they start crawling up the walls when the Balrog appears. And Boromir says, what is this new devilry? Gandalf says, a Balrog, a demon from the ancient world. And Legolas just looking terrified. This foe is beyond any of you. Run, quickly. And then Boromir, like, like stumbles for a minute. And it was Aragorn, I think, that almost, like, fell off the bridge at one point. Didn't Aragorn almost, like, fall or something? But it was really cool. And then Gandalf just goes, do as I say. Swords are no more use here. And they run straight across. And then that's when you have that big gap, like, in the bridge, and they're trying to get across. And like you said, Gimli says, nobody tosses a dwarf. And um, long story short is they get across the bridge, but a boulder falls, breaking the bridge, where Aragorn and Frodo are left. And it causes Aragorn and Frodo to collide into the other part of the bridge, but they get across. And then it gets to a more narrow bridge, um, and after it's collided, that's when Gandalf goes over the bridge and goes fly and then the balrog roars and that's when you it was like a lion roar it was wild it was really cool uh but follows the group and gandalf stops mid-bridge and gandalf does that famous line you cannot pass i am a servant of the secret fire wielded of the flame of anor the dark fire will not avail you flame of udun and then that's when the balrog draws his fiery sword it was awesome seeing the cgi in 2001 it collides with like what looks like gandalf's big white like shield bubble bubble that he's conjured there and then gandalf goes go back to the shadow and then the balrog like draws his fiery whip throws it on gandalf and gandalf says you shall not pass and the bridge collapses the balrog begins to fall to its doom but the difference between the novel, we've talked about this so many times, and the film here is when the Balrog throws the whip, it gets Gandalf's leg, and it was like dragging him down. And Frodo 
this was a really cool emotional scene because Frodo was looking at Gandalf is like Gandalf and Gandalf is trying to pull himself up but then it's almost like he doesn't try anymore and just goes fly you fools and then pushes himself off and Frodo is screaming no and um, afterwards Aragorn they kind of like are all like grieving the moment and he says in the morning this place will be swarming with orcs and Boromir gotta give him credit even says give them a moment for pity's sake and you can really see um how it's affecting the group and Aragorn even tells them on your feet again Sam and it it just kind of shows um really how they had a good connection to Gandalf so I like that ad there but yeah now back to Jay Nelly man cool yeah uh talk a little bit about that that bridge scene you know, in the book, they Gandalf was screaming, you cannot pass. In the film, it was, you shall not pass. Uh, the movie made it seem like Gandalf had a chance of getting away. Didn't really look like that in the book. Like, in the book, it was pretty much he grabbed him and pulled him right down. Didn't really give him much of a shot. Uh, also, Gandalf's staff breaks in the book, like, snaps. In the movie, he just drops it. So those are a couple things that I definitely noticed there. Um, also, Sam suffered a head injury in the book. He didn't suffer any sort of injury in the film at all. So that's a little difference there. I just thought this was kind of funny. This is something that the film added in, and it just made me laugh. This was like Gimli telling one of his jokes. He's like, I have the eye of a hawk and ears of a fox. Like talking about how like the yeah. el- el- elves won't be able to sneak up on him, and then all of a sudden he like walks like right into the point of an arrow. <laughs> so I thought that was kind of funny. Aragorn argues with Haldir in the movie, and like that allows them to go on to the city of Lorien. That was a very strange ad because that's not really how it happened at all. Like, they, like in the movie, they didn't want to let them pass, it, and then all you saw was argue, like the Aragorn arguing an Elvish mm-hmm. with the Haldir back and forth, and it's like Aragorn convinced him somehow. He's like, "All right, well, I guess now you can go because Aragorn convinced you." Like, no, it's that's really not how it happened in the novel. That's one thing I didn't like. Um, also. Apparently, the movie did not mind if Gimli was blindfolded because they made a big deal about the, the book to the point of where all the Fellowship had to be blindfolded to go through the woods of Lothlorien. In the movie, not one single character was blindfolded. So they just left that out completely. Don't know why. It took 10 seconds to put a rag over someone's face. It doesn't really cost that much in props either. But um, I guess we'll, we'll just take that for what it is. Also, uh, in the movie, Celeborn is the one who asks where Gandalf is and that he would very much like to speak with him. In the novel, it was actually Galadriel who said that, and that is in the last page of uh, 398 in my book. I'll go ahead and read that right here, so that way it supports my claim. It says, Nay, there was no change of counsel, said Lady Galadriel, speaking for the first time. Her voice was clear and musical, but deeper than a woman's wont. Gandalf the Grey set out with the company, but he had not passed the borders of this land. Now tell us where he is. For I much desired to speak with him again. So yeah, that's just they, they decided to give that to Celeborn and not Galadriel in the film. Don't know why. <laughs> then from there, just two more things, and I'll turn it back over to Chase. Uh, Galadriel makes Boromir sweat and whimper in the movie. Like he was just like a little disconcerted in the book. So this is the same theme of extra dramatization to really build up the fact that Boromir is going to fuck over the Fellowship. I kind of like how the book did it better because it's like. You had little tiny bits of foreshadow if you went back and like analyzed it, but they're very very easy to overlook if you're just reading it for the first time. So it, it kind of was cool, like almost not a surprise, but it's like oh shit, like I can't believe he did this 
when you read it for the first time versus the movie, you are like, oh, well, I can tell for sure at some point he's going to try to take the ring, you know? So I didn't really love how they, they, they kind of gave away the, the secret and mystery there. Uh, also, this is one part that I really like in the books, and they didn't show this or portray this in the film. The movie doesn't really show the fact that Legolas takes Gimli to see Lorien. And this is the first paragraph of page 403. So on page 403 here, I'm going to read this first paragraph at the top. It says, Legolas was away much among the Galadrium, and after the first night he did not sleep with the other companions, though he returned to eat and talk with them. Often he took Gimli with him, and he went abroad in the land, and the others wondered at this change. So that's like how Gimli and Legolas really kind of became friends, was through Legolas taking him through the woods a lot, and you don't really get that uh, in the film, especially not at this point in time. It took a little bit longer for Legolas and Gimli to really draw a tight friendship in the film. So that's uh, the last thing I'll, I'll talk about right here before I turn it back over to Chase, and we'll keep this thing rolling. Yeah, man, I don't know. We were all on the same page last week with everything. I disagree. I loved the interaction with Haldor. That was one of my favorite parts. One of my favorite ads. I thought it was funny. I mean, there was no importance to it at all. <laughs> but I thought it was funny what Gimli said. And that's my uh, big ad here, because I got that scene right here in Elvish, too. So you know exactly what Gimli said. That was so offensive. <laughs> but uh i did like it was actually pretty dead on when haldor said the dwarf reads so loud we could have shot him in the dark and that in the book that was actually legolas telling gimli that that's what they were basically saying about him <laughs> that he breathes so loud they could hear him walking but haldor says megavon and legolas thrandulian and that just means welcome legolas son of thrandul and Legolas says, Gavanis Finn Gwynin Le Haldir O Lorien. Our fellowship stands in your debt, Haldir of Lorien. Haldir says, Aegorn in Dundane, Isthenin Le Aminen. O Aragorn of Dundane, you are known to us. Aragorn says, He bows, says Haldir. And Gimli says, So much for the legendary courtesy of elves. Speak words we can also understand. And Haldir says, we have not had dealings with dwarves since the dark days. And Gimli says, And do you know what the dwarf says to that? Ishagui ah, Durangul. And that means I spit upon your grave. And Aragorn says, so, He goes, That was not so courteous. So I thought it was a good ad, man. I thought it was funny. There was no like point there. Uh, and it kind of went, yeah, it went against the whole blindfold thing, but I thought that's, it was funny. Yeah, that's not the argument that I was talking about. I was talking about the argument between Aragorn and Haldir in the movie. Like, not like without Gimli there. They were, they were off in their own little area by a tree, just having a conversation back and forth in the dead of night. And, like, that, oh, yeah. that's yeah, what I thought that was dumb. Too. Yeah, that didn't yeah. make any sense because that's not how they, they came to the decision that they were going to let them continue on. So, just like, oh, that, yeah. like Sorry, that was, I thought yeah. you were talking about the. No. The reason I thought you were talking about that one was because when Legolas introduced himself to Haldir. So that's why I thought you were talking about that one. Nah. But yeah, I thought it was good, man. I thought it was funny. It was a great ad. Great ad. It just showed, you know, Gimli needs to be a little bit more respectful. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> just kidding, guys. I'm giving you a hard time. You know, I like to give Gimli a hard time, but no, he's a good dude. Uh, yeah, and uh, I'll let you turn it back over to you, man. Well, I want you to catch up with me first because I'm at this part where, like, uh, they they're already kind of speaking to Galadriel. I, I'm at the part like 
where Legolas takes Gimli to see Lorien in the book. So this is this is kind of the part where Galadriel makes uh, Boromir sweat and like kind of gets inside all of their heads. So if you've got anything from where you are there to catch up to where I'm at, go ahead and go through those so that way we're kind of in the same spot. Okay. Um, honestly, no, it's okay. Because the next thing I have, because I didn't put a whole lot in there, uh, is actually when Saruman was talking to the Urukai. Okay. And I didn't even put that in there myself. So the next thing I've got is like in the in the book, Galadriel taking both Sam and Frodo to the mirror. In the movie, it, they just take Frodo, or she just takes Frodo. Mm-hmm. So I thought that that was the difference there, because Sam got to see something that was important to him in the in the book, and they decided they were gonna leave that out. Because uh, at, at that point, Sam actually, and why it's important, it's because Sam really considered leaving and going back to the Shire after what he saw in the novel. Where in the movie he's not even taken there, so I thought that definitely is something that they should have and could have added. Not doesn't wouldn't take too much out of it. Um, also in the film, Galadriel tells Frodo, "The fellowship is breaking. It has already begun. He will try to take the ring. You know of who I speak. One, uh, one by one, it will destroy them all." That never happens in the book. She never has that conversation with him. She doesn't tell him that anyone from within the company is going to try to take the ring at all. That's that's a complete like fabrication. They made that up. But again, I think they're just kind of do it to build on the fact that, you know, Boromir is going to do what he does. So uh, next thing I have is that it was kind of cool to see one of the elf rings of power on Galadriel's hand. You can kind of see what it looked like. It was very beautiful. Um, You know, and what's really cool, too, it's only in the extended edition. If you don't have the extended edition, you don't get to see the elven ring of power. Uh, Like she doesn't show it where she shows it on there and she even like uh, describes it its name and everything kind of like how the novel did so I thought that was really cool but you can only see that on the extended edition of the films fun fact <laughs> and then the movie it's back at it again with this centric lead of the Urukai. like Lurtz is shown and like, he, he doesn't exist uh, like if you remember following us uh, last week when we talked about you know the final battle at the end like all the orcs had already done their thing and they were gone where like this is a lead up of one centric orc who apparently or urukai I should say that leads the whole hosts of orcs you know he, he Saruman tells him to bring the hobbits to him alive unspoiled and to kill the rest and so from there I'll go ahead and stop and turn it over to Chase and you know kind of see what he's got from here yeah I just love the monologues man like I feel like all the differences episodes are me just read monologues but I thought it was cool because it like the Urukai wasn't in the novel so that's why I thought it was cool and it's a well the, the Urukai like the as a species were in it but yeah. it wasn't like one one centric leader that like they came to you know like follow or so to speak. yeah sorry rephrase that I mean this specific uh lead elf that he's talking to <laughs> here this guy wasn't in there. It wasn't like um, whoever that elf was in The Hobbit <laughs> that they focus around. Yeah, this guy didn't really exist. But uh, Saruman says, Do you know how the orcs first came into being? They were elves once, taken by the dark powers, tortured and mutilated, a ruined and terrible form of life, and now perfected my fighting Urukai. Whom do you serve? And then the Urukai says, Saruman <laughs> then it shows like all the orcs this was cool they were like strapping on armor putting on the paint like slapping themselves with you know they were finger painting themselves they all went to kindergarten finger paint class and then Saruman says hunt them down do not stop until they are found you do not know pain you do not know fear you will taste 
man flesh. And that's how you get that. Man, I smell man flesh. <laughs> we'll talk about later on. But yeah, and he turns to Urukai and then uh, he says, one of the halflings carries something of great value. Bring them to me alive and unspoiled. Kill the others. And that was awesome. And uh, the next thing I have from there is like the pillars, you know, the kings of old. Just like I talked about last week, the visuals just in this entire film are stunning. So I got to give Peter Jackson and the visual artist credit because for 2001, uh, you can definitely see how this film exceeded its time. And, and I thought it was great. Back to you, man. Okay. Uh, the next part that I have is just another like fun moment that the movie added in I thought was kind of funny. Uh this is where they kind of pack up stuff and start to leave Lothlorien, or the city of Lorien. You know, Lothlorien's the woods around it. Lorien is the actual city. But they, they start to leave it, and uh, Legolas grabs the piece of Lembus bread, and he bites like a little corner off of it. And he's like, ah, Lembus bread. I, I, don't, I didn't write the quote down, but something along the lines of, like, one small bite can fill a grown man's stomach for a whole day. And then it, like, the camera pans over to Mary and Pippin, and Mary's like, how many did you eat? <laughs> and Pippin's like, <laughs> Pippin's like, four. <laughs> that was great. Pippin ate like Excellent. four fucking full lemma's breads. So I thought that was hilarious. Um, also, the the gifts were kind of different for Pippin and Mary and Sam than in the book. Well, like Sam got an additional gift of special soil that wasn't shown. Like he gave yeah. she gave them the rope, but like honestly, the rope was kind of given to the company at large in the book. Where this one, she doesn't really give him that soil that was kind of important to right. Sam because he wants to be a gardener. He's a good gardener, so that was kind of like a, a sweet little thing they could have decided in, but they decided not to. And like the uh, in the books, Pippin and Mary they didn't get swords. They got silver belts with like that uh, that golden leaf that kind of ties it together. Where they got small swords here in the film, so that's different. Also, uh, apparently Galadriel just said "fuck Boromir" and didn't give him shit in the movie. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> yeah, I saw that too. I was like, "What?" <laughs> like, I just figured I missed something. <laughs> like, apparently Galadriel just had it out for Boromir since day one. Man, she did not like this guy because in the book she gave him a golden belt, which is actually a really nice and expensive gift, and. In the movie, she didn't give him shit. <laughs> so, like, that was pretty fucked up, man. And then uh, also, this is an ad that I thought was kind of cool that they did in the film that didn't exist in the book. It was when Aragorn and Boromir argue in secret at night. And like uh, Aragorn tells me, I wouldn't take the ring within however many leagues of Minas Tirith. They have that like little you know argument there because yeah. Boromir wants to do it. I thought that was pretty cool. Um and then this is the last thing because I'm sure you're going to talk about it as well too that I'll, I will do before I turn it back over to you is that the movie did a phenomenal job on the statues of the river like the stone pillars I thought they did such a good job of how it was depicted in the novels like how tall they rose how they had like the crown on their head the, the palm facing the front with the hands on the weapon on the other hand for both of them being a Sildor and a Lendil thought it was really cool the way they did that uh, yeah that, that was very very well done visually by the film it was cool it was on the river you saw like it, it come the water go straight through it and then passing it and it, you almost got the the that same feeling that the, the book kind of portrayed how Bormir bowed his head in respect and Frodo almost got like, a little like nervous and you know it, just, it really kind of had that air of um, ancientness to it and and, and respect and, and honor in a way so I thought that was really cool and so with that being said I'll turn it back over to you yeah no man uh 
No, I, I just 100%. That's kind of what I was saying before is just the visuals on those pillars were absolutely phenomenal. And you had the river there. I mean, it was that classic kind of scene you even remember from almost like watching a trailer of the thing. Like, I, like that's the scene I remember as a kid, like before I left the theater, even thinking because I thought the movie was going to stop after Cause of Doom. And then it just kept going. And I was like, oh, man, this is just every boy's dream besides Darth Maul having two lightsaber blades like this was it like, this was awesome um yeah but the next part I have I want you to take because this is a uh, uh, big parts because the next one I had is when like Boromir starts talking to Frodo so you go ahead and take this take this on out from here man this is your guy all right yeah I got I've got a few differences before I kind of get there but I'll go ahead and tell you what I do have on my end so in the movie, Aragorn says, we approach Mordor from the north. Where in the book, this is a direct contradiction, and they really shouldn't have done it like this. In the book, Aragorn is actually torn about what path they should take and leaves the choice to Frodo to go either east or west. So I don't know what the hell the movie was talking about here. Uh, definitely kind of makes it, because I remember how much Aragorn struggled with it. And then all of a sudden in the movie, just had the answer, yep, we're going to approach Mordor from the north. That's what we're doing. <laughs> like, uh, no, <laughs> actually, that's, that's not what happened. So thought that was something that was kind of off but uh, in the movie Frodo just kind of wanders off willy-nilly in the book it was a reason why he wandered off he wandered off he was supposed to take an hour to decide the path they would take so they, they could have just had that like little like blurb in there like oh Frodo which path do you want to take well give me an hour to think about it okay I did see what we did there it took all of 21 seconds you know what I mean yeah. <laughs> like yeah. not even so they just they didn't add that. He just decided to start wandering around the woods for no damn reason. <laughs> so <laughs> thought that was kind of kind of weird that the the film did it like that. But whatever. Um, Frodo and Aragorn never have the moment where Aragorn passes the test and doesn't try to take the ring from Frodo in the book. They don't have a goodbye or anything. Like they, if you guys remember in the book, Aragorn never finds him. He go he runs up the steps and is looking for him, and he hears the orcs and goes towards the orcs where Frodo and Sam had already, you know, Sam had gotten that that sense of realization. I know where Frodo is going to be. Runs back to the boats, catches him just in time, and they take off across the river. So Aragorn actually never has that moment where Frodo holds out the ring to him, and you know, Aragorn closes his hand and tells him, you know, I would have followed you to the gates of Mordor. Uh, that doesn't happen. That's just an addition to movie added. So uh, yeah, I don't know how I feel about it. It's like part of me thinks it's kind of cool, but also you know it's kind of cool that they didn't get the goodbye too in, in the novel because not everything always happens the the easy and fun and bright way, you know. So I thought that was important to at least notate the difference. I'm not exactly sure or convinced which one I liked more. Each had its own flavor to it, I guess. But yeah, to talk about you know what happens in the lead up to that moment though, like in, in the film, it's when Frodo is you know walking around and Borm is like you know we shouldn't be wandering off like you least of all with so much like depending on you and you know and this is what like one of the parts i thought was really funny because Borm does kind of talk about the ring and how you know casting it away doesn't make any sense and how they should use it uh they do it like a little bit different in terms of the words that they use but the general theme's the same between the, the film and the novel right here and then uh he, this is one of my favorite parts he looks up he's like if you would but lend me the ring. And Frodo's like, no. He's like, I ask only for the strength to defend my people. And he throws down the stack of woods. I thought that was hilarious. Uh, but that's when he like tries to jump on him. And then he puts the ring on. And he's like, you will lead to us. You will ruin us all. <laughs> then he ends up, uh, yeah, like Frodo like kicks his legs out from underneath him. And he falls down. And he kind of like comes back to himself and realizes he kind of fucked up there. And that's kind of where you know Frodo runs off with the ring on his finger. 
and runs into Aragorn. And, and even in the movie, like here, this is where they almost made it seem like Aragorn was going to take the ring afterwards. He's like, where is the ring? <laughs> just like that, very strangely. So I don't know. That, that was just an ad that was unnecessary. But you know, what, what, I, what it, that really kind of showed me what the film was trying to show the audience was that Aragorn was a better person than Boromir was. It's like Boromir had the chance to either try to take the ring or not take the ring, and he tried to take the ring. They gave Aragorn that same opportunity to show that he's better than his uh, ancestors, and Aragorn passed the test. That's what I, I took from that moment anyways. Mm-hmm. But I actually never, just, like I said, never really happened in the novel at all. Like, Aragorn never found Frodo. They never have that interaction. So, like I said, just a little bit different. And then going on from there... Uh, Frodo never gets to see Merry and Pippin before departing the fellowship in the book. But he does in the movie. Remember, like, they were hiding behind the tree. They're telling Frodo, come here. And then Merry looks at uh, Frodo, and he, like, Frodo shakes his head, and he's like, he's leaving. And that's when Merry and Pippin, like, cause a distraction and make the orcs follow them and run away there. But that, yeah. that is also something that doesn't happen in the book. Like I said, he just runs straight to the, the boats, doesn't see anyone else after he tries after Bormir tries to take the ring. And, you know, Sam just gets there in time, and, you know, that that's that. But, uh, yeah, we get to see the battle with the orcs in the film, and this is one of the best scenes in the series, in my opinion. Every like, everything that kind of went into this, uh, I, like to talk about a, a little bit before as well too. In the book, when Aragorn can't find Frodo, he hears Boromir's horn and goes to find him, but it's already too late. The battle had already happened in the books, where in the film we get the whole scene and we see exactly what happens. You know, I know Chase is going to talk about it from the other character's perspective. I'm only going to talk about it from Boromir's perspective here on what happens. And so we'll go through it here. But um, all I really wrote down, I'm not going to go blow by blow or anything like that. But I'd like talk about how the orcs are running after Merry and Pippin. And all of a sudden you, you see you see Boromir sword in hand like sprinting towards it. And like one of the orcs is about to take a downward swipe at Merry and Pippin, and, and Wormer grabs the hand out of midair on a downward thrust that was fucking awesome, and that then he awesome. he has this, his last, thing, you know, I call it his last stand, and I, I counted it out from what we see on screen, because it would, it would flash back between what Aragorn and Legolas and Gimli were doing, and also Boromir was doing, so from what we were able to see, uh, and of course it looked like more at the end, but he had killed 16 orcs that I could see on screen, I counted 16 of them, uh, you know, and what I thought was really cool too, and like Chase was saying, the the soundtrack and like the eerie music that was playing as Boromir was taking out these orcs, and then the you hear like the whip of the bow, and all of a sudden you hear through the thud of the first arrow catching him in the chest, and it, like you hear Merry and Pippin like no, like, like screaming. Like, I, I honestly like as I'm talking, I'm showing my arm to like the the camera. I've got goosebumps talking about it. Like it was really really intense. And then, you know, he's got that one arrow, and that's a, it's a kill shot. That first arrow is a, like a dead-on kill shot to the, the chest. And he, you know, picks up the back up his sword and takes out a few more orcs and drives them away, doing his best to protect Merry and Pippin. And then another arrow, you hear the whip of the, the bow, and it's that, again, you can see who it is. It's that lead-centric orc called uh, Ur- Urukai called Lurtz who is shooting him with this bow and catches him with a second arrow. And the second arrow is more kind of lower body kind of like almost, um, I would say, like around the spleen area, but on the opposite side. Uh, he catches him there with that one. And then he kind of, uh, he pauses again, and you can see it takes like a heavier and deeper toll. 
But my guy still turns around, starts swinging the sword again, takes out a few more orcs. Uh, you know, at this point, like like Mary and Pippin are trying their best to kind of fight too. And then we hear the the final the final bow twang, and when it catches them kind of in the stomach area, and so Boromir finally, you know, it, it sucked because you know even after that second arrow, the dude fell to his knees, but then like caught up off his knees and like you know just did the best that he could and fought with every ounce of strength he had. And finally, when that third arrow hit him, he went down and you know he was just just had the sword and he couldn't really bring it up and in the book where it said where Aragorn found him it said like the sword was broken at the hilt the sword never broke in the film but we have Lurtz the the lead Urukai walked straight up to Boromir who has nothing left in him he gave every ounce of energy he had and literally the puts the bow execution style to Boromir's head about to put an arrow right through it and that's when Aragorn like jumps and like shoulders him and the the arrow goes flying out of the way and we have that really cool battle scene that also again none of this happens in, in the books but it's amazing to see on screen this little one-on-one battle between the lead the lead urukai and aragorn i don't want to like um you know go i know jace is going to probably break it down a little bit better than i can but i did like the one part and i thought it was sick then towards the end of this fight not to ruin it because like i said i'm sure chase will go through it but and aragorn like cuts off the arm and stabs him through the stomach and the orc grabs the damn sword by the blade and pulls it into yeah, him and like ass. gets in his face and the orc like swings it out and like lops off his head. That was dope. Uh, yeah, that was really really cool. Like I said, that whole this whole scene from top to bottom where the orcs arrive and like this battle not only with Boromir but also Legolas and Gimli and, and Aragorn in different parts and different places uh, are having this this whole all out you know. It's almost like a fruitless attempt. There's just so many orcs, and there's only so little of people. But they, you know, they kind of hold their own. And unfortunately, you know, know, they don't all survive. You know, Boromir, uh, you know, takes the L on it, gets killed, and it's almost like his way of uh, repaying it. He paid with his life for the attempt to take the ring. And uh, yeah, so that's what I have there. Like, uh, like, isn't like to talk about this again in the book? Aragorn found him. It stated that he was pierced by many arrows. In the movie, it was only three arrows. It also said more than 20 orcs lay, lay dead around Boromir in the books. And like I said, I counted 16, but when the screen panned out, it looked like a lot more. So who knows the exact number. Um, then, I'll, like I said, uh, the, 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 uh, the movie, I, I like the movie idea better when he was going to go execution style and Aragorn jumped in and had that really cool part. But uh, last thing here on my end before I'm done with all my differences for the day is Frodo in the book has the ring on as he leaves with the boat when Sam finds him on page 456. He does not have the ring on when he leaves with the boat in the film. And I'm actually going to read that part here on page 456. And this is just be the last thing, like I said, that I detailed. I thought that was important before I turn it over to Chase to kind of take us through some of the battle scenes because I know he likes to do that. But, uh, yeah. It says, Sam turned back and bolted down the path. He fell and cut his knees. Up he got and ran. He came to the edge of the lawn of the Parth Gallon by the shore where the boats were drawn up out of the water. No one was there. There seemed to be cries in the woods behind, but he did not heed them. He stood gazing for a moment, stock still, gaping. A boat was sliding down the bank all by itself. With a shout, Sam raced across the grass. The boat slipped in the water. Coming, Mr. Frodo, coming, called Sam as he flung himself from the bank, clutching at the departing boat. He missed it by a yard. With a cry and a splash, he fell downward into the deep, swift river, gurgling under he went and the river closed over his curly head and an exclamation of dismay came from the empty boat paddles swirled around and the boat 
put about. Frodo was just in time to grab Sam by the hair as he came up, bubbling and struggling. And the fear was staring at him in his brown, brown eyes. So that's like, uh, oh, and oh, they actually keep going here. Up you come, Sam, my lad, said Frodo. Now take my hand. Save me, Mr. Frodo, gasped Sam. I'm drowned. I can't see your hand. Here it is. Don't pitch, lad. I won't let you go. Tread water and don't flounder or you'll upside the boat. There now, get a hold of the side and let me use the paddle. With a few strokes, Frodo brought the boat back to the bank and Sam was able to scramble out wet as a water rat. Frodo took off the ring and stepped ashore again. So Frodo actually had the ring on when all this was happening. And it didn't show that either about all the visions that he saw. You know, it'd have been really cool if the movie would have done this. And, and as the book talked about Frodo seeing visions of everything from Moria to the Misty Mountains to Mordor to the, the outskirts of Lorien and how the enemy's full power was at hand. It'd been cool to see that on there. But that was a difference. It wasn't in, in the uh, movie, but it was in the novel. So, yeah, those are all the differences that I have. And I'll turn it over to Chase to kind of close us out with uh, some cool battle scenes. <laughs> Dude, I just keep replaying the soundtrack. Dun 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 dun. And then you hear the horn. Down down down. <laughs> that sounded more like a like a ACDC concert or something. But it was badass. You guys gotta look it up. I'll put it on the website. This clip. <laughs> that was sick, man. But uh, kind of starting where you know Jay Nelly did a great job on like what Boromir was saying. But this monologue was great uh, by Sean Bean here. He says. When he's approaching Frodo, as this whole thing starts to spiral out of control, he goes, None of us should wander alone. You least of all. So much depends on you, Frodo. I know why you seek solitude. You suffer, and I see, save by day, you sure do not suffer needlessly. There are other ways, Frodo, other paths that we might take. Frodo says, I know what you might say, and it would seem like wisdom, but for warning in my heart. Boromir says, warning against what? We're all afraid, Frodo. But to let the fear drive us, to destroy what hope we have, don't you see that it's madness? Frodo says, there is no other way. Boromir says, I ask only for the strength to defend my people. He throws down like the bread or whatever he had. I don't know. Was it bread or was it no, like rocks? It, it was a bunch of uh, wood for a fire. It was a bunch of sticks for fire. Oh, okay. I thought he was like Aladdin, like gathering up a bunch of bread or something. What, what was he going to gather bread in the woods? How are you going to find fucking bread in the woods? <laughs> That's like, what happens when you watch these movies at like one in the morning. You, yeah, <laughs> you no. Start to... He had yeah, a no. he had like a small pile of sticks that he was going to use to make a fire and just threw down the pile of sticks on the ground. Got it. Okay. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, then he goes, uh, he goes. Uh, so if you would but lend me the ring why do you recall why do you recoil I am no thief Frodo says you are not yourself Boromir says what chance do you think we have they will find you they will take the ring and you will beg for death before the end you fool it is not yours saved by unhappy chance it could have been mine it should be mine give it to me give it to me and he's like chasing him and that's when frodo disappears and he goes i see your mind you will take the ring to sauron you will betray us you go to your death and the death of us all curse you curse you and all the halflings and then he realized what's going on he's like frodo frodo 
What have I done? Please, Frodo. I'm sorry, Frodo. <laughs> it's kind of like an emotional scene. Like, just I bring that monologue up to your point of, I like the way they kind of did this because it's kind of like shows like Boromir's Misjudged. And I kind of felt sorry for him there. And then uh, on the Aragorn part you're talking about, Aragorn said, where's the ring, Frodo? I swore to protect you. And Frodo says, can you protect me from yourself? Would you destroy it? And Aragorn says, I would have gone with you until the end into the very fires of Mordor. And Frodo says, I know. Look after the others, especially Sam. He will not understand. And that's when this whole thing spirals out of control. Aragorn sees Frodo's blade, and it's blue. He goes, go! And you start, I love the way they did this because he wasn't there in the novels. And it's like a pack of orcs, man. Like, you're walking into your damn misery. Like a wall of damn orcs here. And he just goes, Frodo, run. Run! <laughs> Dude, this was badass, man. Just starts taking them all on. I counted here because, you know, I'm doing from the other perspective. I'll leave uh, Bormir to my boy Jane Nelly. But Aragorn took out 13 orcs. In that pack alone, which is badass, including ones that he jumped on from the top of that stone ledge there, and one that fell through his blade. And uh, then Legolas, my boy, shoots six arrows into six orcs, one including with the same arrow. And then, uh, of course, this is where you have that famous line, the orcs going, FIND THE HALFLING! Find the halfling! And you have Merry and Pippin. They realize Frodo is leaving. That's when they created the diversion. Legolas does his knife spin thing that I was talking about earlier. His famous knife spin. Kills two with the knife spin. Here's your boy. Here's your boy, Janelli Gimli. This is his kill. This is his moment. He kills one with an axe. That's what he does. <laughs> but here you go, though. He punches one. He punches one. Now let's get to the real battle here. Aragorn beats ass. Beats ass again. <laughs> and stabs an orc. And then, yeah, Merry and Pippin surrounded. That's where, uh, you know, Boromir, Boromir stops. That's that famous scene you were talking about. Where he, like, stops the, like, axe from coming down of that orc onto the Merry and Pippin. And then he throws a knife through that orc's out, uh, neck. But back to Legolas, the man of the day. Saves Aragorn's ass. <laughs> Shoots down seven orcs, including the one that had him pinned to a tree. Legolas saving the day, man. And they hear the horn of Gondor. And Legolas says, that's the horn of Gondor. Oh, it's, so, it's one of my favorite scenes. And then uh, that's when you were talking about Boromir's cutting down orcs. You know, um, and you went into that detail. That was perfect. Um, but at this point, so, you know, this is when Boromir, actually, I counted here, too. This adds up to your exact number. You got that dead right. That was 16. Because he cuts down 10 orcs and then fights off three more when he's brought to his knees. And then he gets a couple more here. And that's when he was using his body weight to push the blade through the sword because he pushed the sword blade through the orc because he was already beat down by that point. And then when he was hit uh, with the fourth arrow, well, you went into detail on this, so I'm not going well, to... He only got hit with much. three arrows. There was only three arrows he got hit with. Was it three? Okay, yeah, yeah so sorry. The third arrow, 
But that's when he was, uh, Mary and Pippin were hauled off. Like, he just had no more strength at that point. That's right, because he was coming up to hit him with the fourth arrow, which doesn't happen. And uh, that's when the Urukai stands above Boromir, draws back the, I called it, to finish his bidding. It was like Mortal Kombat style. Finish him. <laughs> That's what he was about to do, man. He's about to beat the... I, w- I was terrified when I first saw this in theaters. But then Aragorn tackles his ass. Uh, the Urukai like, pins Aragorn to a tree again. We always have Aragorn getting pinned to a tree. This was, like, by a shield, by, like, his neck that he, like, threw at him. But Aragorn rolls to his right and then stabs the Urukai in his leg. And, of course, the Urukai alerts punches Aragorn and headbutts him, knocking him out. The Aragorn gets to the side, and then he winds up ripping, um, after the Urukai rips the knife out of his leg, the Urukai licks the blood off the blade with his tongue. Like, that was intimidating. I've never seen anything like it. I couldn't tell if it cut his tongue at all, but that was intimidating. He licked it off in front of him. I think you can only see that part in the extended edition, but it was awesome. And then he throws the knife at Aragorn, but Aragorn deflects it with his sword. Aragorn then drives back uh, to the Urukai with six strikes. And then this is when he cuts off his left arm with the seventh strike. And he stabs him through the chest. But that's when you have Lurts. He's like, he almost pulls like the whole Dracula and Van Helsing, I'm already dead. <laughs> and like pushes his body forward all the way towards Aragorn. But Aragorn rips the sword out and cuts his head off. It was awesome, man. It was fantastic to hear. Um, and then you have that monologue where Boromir was like, they took the little ones and Aragorn says, lay still. Boromir says, Frodo, where's Frodo? And Aragorn says, I let Frodo go. And Boromir says, then you did what I cannot. I tried to take the ring from him. Aragorn says, the ring is beyond our reach now. Boromir says, forgive me. I did not see. I have failed you all. And Aragorn says, no, Boromir. You fought bravely. You have kept your honor. Tries to remove the arrow, but Boromir says, leave it. It's over the world and men will fall and all will come to darkness in my city to ruin. And Aragorn says, I did not know what strength is in my blood, but I swear to you I will not let the white city fall, nor our people fail. And Boromir says, our people, and then they say our people. And Aragorn puts Boromir's sword in his hand as Legolas starts to approach and they know he's this is the end of him. And Boromir says, I would have followed you, my brother my captain my king and that's when Boromir dies and Aragorn says be at peace son of Gondor and I thought it was a really powerful moment I thought it was a cool ad because it was kind of like it kind of like hinted to this in the book a little bit but not really like how they kind of almost seemed like brothers in a way but um at this point, you know, I did like how you could even see kind of the tears flowing from Aragorn's eyes when they're uh, basically bidding Boromir to rest. Um, and I'll let you take it. Uh, did you have any more um, thing about the boats? No. I just basically put, you know, they had his sword there, had him in the boat. What do you want to say about that? Sorry, I didn't mean to. No, I, did, I didn't even put that uh, on, on any differences because it was pretty much the same as it was in the novel. Yeah. I, you know, I just pretty much. I just, 
Yeah, I just much detailed differences, you know, uh, not like a recap of what happened, just kind of like, you know, talk about the, the major differences. But yeah, the whole thing in there, you gave Gimli a little more shade, said he killed one orc, but you know what? In the book, none of them kill any of them. That never happens. <laughs> it never fucking happens. No one kills any orcs except Boromir. Everyone else, I guess, like, listen, Gimli. You can see who I focused on <laughs> from my breakdown there. There were two people I focused on, Aragorn and Legolas. I tried to give him his little moment there. He killed one. He punched one too. They I even gave him two. I was extra credit. Kill anyone extra credit. in he the books. Somebody. But uh, yeah, that's that's all I pretty much had. But um, you know, and then Sam has this kind of moment with Frodo though. Uh, it's an iconic line. He just says, "I made a promise, Mister Frodo. A promise. Don't you leave him, Samwise Gamgee. And I don't mean to. I don't mean to. And you know, that's kind of like an iconic line. But uh, and and I like how they ended here." Um, when Sam and Frodo like sail off, Boromir's body is showing going down a waterfall. You don't see, hear about the waterfall or anything in the um, book. And then Gimli says, this has all been in vain. The fellowship has failed. And Aragorn puts his arm on Gimli and Legolas and says, not if we hold true to each other. We will not abandon Merry and Pippin to torment and death. Not while we have strength left. Leave all that can be spared behind. We travel light. Let's hunt some orc. And Gimli's like, yes! And Legolas smirks and then uh you have that last famous line where frodo says mordor i hope the others find a safer road and sam says strider will look after them and frodo says i don't suppose we will ever see them again sam says we may yet mr frodo we may yet uh and frodo says sam i'm glad you're with me and that's kind of like a foreshadowing in a way that's the only reason i wrote that down but yeah i thought it was a cool ending i i thought the movie was great and uh yeah that's all my differences there Cool. I mean, some of them were just kind of breakdowns more than differences, but <laughs> I love the breakdowns, man. Breakdowns like, are my thing. Given given the people, <laughs> breakdowns are my thing, man. Give I love people the breakdowns. breakdown of the movie that they can see. Love it. Um, Even but it's like a, it's more my version of the breakdown because if you go back and watch it, you'll be like, Gimli killed like fifty guys. <laughs> That's probably what you're gonna put on our comments. I'm like, well, in my version, I cut that part out because I hit fast forward. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Anyways, keep in mind, in the actual story, they don't kill nobody. There's no orc. Aragorn doesn't kill no one like, in that moment. But Legolas uh, took on the entire army of Mordor. <laughs> I just want you to know that that Legolas killed basically everyone. If it wasn't for Legolas, like we might as well not even have a fellowship. So, <laughs> anyway, just that's, kidding. Back to you. That's the. Uh, the story according to Chase. No, but uh, yeah, I guess at this point in time, let's go ahead and give our ratings for both the novel and the film. You know, talk about some of the things that what we liked about each one. Then you know, give our our uh, you know scale of one to ten uh, numeric rating. So I'll let you go ahead and start us off. What did you give the uh, the novel and the film? uh the novel uh this is overall right like we're not just talking about part two of the film like do you yes want me no to no tell? no we're talking about part two of the film and part two of the novel we're talking from like where we started after differences part one of the movie going forward and then just part two of the movie okay perfect that's what i thought we were doing just want to make sure yeah i i mean i thought um i thought the novel was good i mean there were a little bit of slow parts but it definitely picked up a little bit um I'll give the novel an eight. Like I didn't mind it. Like it wasn't like my favorite, but I wish we got to see a little bit more of what actually happened to Boromir. Um, that's my biggest thing there. But at the same time, we had extra um, 
we had really cool information like where Gandalf almost got you know almost like failed the first time with the Balrog that you didn't see in the film so I gave it an eight uh, the film, I thought the film had really cool ads at some point. Yeah, there were some things it left out that I didn't really like, and you could have hinted towards certain things there. Uh, give the film, uh, I'm going to give the film a nine, man. I'm going to give that part two a nine because just solely on the fact of it boosted it, in my opinion, because Peter Jackson and his team had to step out of their comfort zone to decide to make a focal point on this uh, Urukai Lurts, where he wasn't even mentioned at all in the novel. So I thought that was really creative. And it became a kind of center point of that battle. And also they chose to take what was really the first chapter of The Two Towers to put it in this film here. So it's a very interesting way to end it, whereas they could have ended it you know, with something like The Bridge of Khaza Doom or something. Um, so I, I thought it was good. I thought it was a step up to the plate. Uh, I'll be generous. Give the film a nine. What about you? Uh, for myself, I, you know, I like them both equally. To be honest with you, I think this is the first time I've ever made like a ranking where I'll give both the film and the novel the same rating. I, I give both like a like an eight point seven. Honestly, yeah. I, that's what I'm gonna give them both an eight point seven because there are things I wish that the movie incorporated i would have loved to see the pack of wolves attack them before going into the mines of moria i thought that would have been a really cool ad if they did i did not like the fact that they made you know saruman ruin the surprise of what the balrog was going to be with the, the <laughs> with like the picture book before it even happened so I thought that kind of sucked um you know but then on top of that like i really enjoyed how the tension of the the dwarves and the elves were so much so that they were going to blindfold Gimli only in the novel and Aragorn has to take the lead here and be like nah we're, we'll all be blindfolded and make it even across the board mm-hmm. and they just the movie's like nah we don't need to worry about blindfolds here we're all good uh you know and then like I said I like the fact that like Sam almost wanting to leave the fellowship and Sam like the why that's so big is Sam is the only one that I would count on and wanting to stay with Frodo the whole time he saw that like revision in the uh, mirror and he was like i need to go back to the shire like i'm like my dad's in trouble you know and um that didn't happen in the, in the movie but like you were saying as well too the movie has some really cool ads that really are, are beautiful honestly like the the whole orc fighting scene with everyone not just boromir's last stand but aragorn fighting his way to get there gimli and uh legolas you know doing their thing uh, making sure they're doing the best that they can even in the uh the tomb room of balan and back in Moria to see that you know come to life they did a great job with it It wasn't something that was rushed or something I felt like they did a poor job with they, they made it seem really really cool and like it had like I said that that we, I just remember it, this is so iconic and this not necessarily happens in the book I'm sure it does in a in a way but like the fact that the camera follows an arrow from Legolas's bow through the darkness and catches an orc in the throat like that was fucking sweet and then Obviously, being able to see what the Balrog looked like on screen, you could only you know have an imagination at a level of what it looked like when you're reading it from the novel. And they brought it; they looked exactly like I would have thought it would have looked like. They did an amazing job with it, and the fact that it looked so cool and realistic in this age in 2001, you know, I, it was awesome. And you know, there were some differences in terms of how the battle went down. You know, remember like Gandalf broke the Balrog sword in the book where. You know, the Balrog came down with a sword, and like you mentioned, he had like kind of a bubble force field around him in, in the film. So, like, like, there's differences here and there, but like 
you know, overall, there are some things I wish the movie would have incorporated. Uh, there was a few changes I wish they didn't make. But there was also a lot that they brought into it from the outside to give it a creative perspective that's not just copying the book word for word. That really looked good. Awesome. Like, it really was awesome. You know, um, I, I, like I said, I, there's likes and dislikes I have for each the novel and movie part two in this area. And so I'll give you know part two of the film an 8.7 and part two of the book an 8.7. I'm going to call it dead even on, on part two here. Um, what I think we should also do now that we're talking about it before we head out for the day, let's let's go ahead and give the the film and the novel an overall score if we include both parts one and two. Let's go ahead and do that where we give it an overall score, not just part one, not just part two, but co- collectively, how do you rate the Fellowship of the Ring as a novel in its whole and, and as a film in its whole? Um, as a novel in its whole. The only really complaints I have is just some parts are just slow. Like when it took them forever to like sell off Bilbo's artifacts and you know, they're really establishing the story. It took a long time. Um, but uh, you know, I think they're both great in their own way. I would say the novel, you know what? I'm gonna rank them the exact same, just similar like as a whole though. Like, I'll give the novel an 8.7, and I'm going to give the film an 8.7, because same thing. Like, there's things where it's like, you know, I really wish, for instance, they even mentioned Tom Bombadil, so that was kind of like a big hit there for the film for me overall. But then at the same time, you know, you added Lurts as, like, the Urukai, and then the CGI for 2001 doing the Balrog was really cool like that's one of my favorite scenes so and i mean you got to see exactly what happened with boromir and what you got to give peter jackson credit to even have the courage to then come out with extended editions that featured all this detail because a lot of people wouldn't and i think it goes to show uh i told y'all when i first we started covering this arc here I watched the interview and he said he was constantly reading the book and handing it to people. And yeah, there were things different. I'm sure it wasn't always all his decision. But this goes to show, like, if you read the book material and you know it, you can put something together with your own creative thoughts that turns out well. So I gave him both uh, 8.7s is what I gave each of those. What about you? Yeah, that's that's interesting because... You gave part one lower than an 8.7 and part two of the novel lower than 8.7. But then overall, <laughs> you're going to give it an 8.7. Man, this is overall. I know. I'm just overall. saying, like, how, how does, like, a lower score for both part one and part right, two? I'll give it, I'm, I'll no, I'm just saying, like, I, I'm not generous. saying you got to change. I'm just saying it didn't quite, like, add up to me in the math. But anyways, uh, for myself, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and give the novel an 8.3, and I'll give the film an 8.5 as an overall collective accumulation. And the reason why is because, like Chase mentioned, there's some parts of Fellowship of the Ring, especially in the beginning, like, it's tough to get through. Like, you need coffee. You need some sort of, like, energy to just keep focused because you can find yourself drifting out of, like, you know, it's, it's almost you, you lose yourself a little bit. Like, why am I following this along? Like, what, what's the importance here? Why, why are we, you know, walking through a forest for 12 years? Like, you know what I mean? Not just making, like, the exaggeration, but, you know, there's other parts of it, too. It's just... There's just so much detail that, in my mind, 
it's unnecessary because you could accomplish the same goal and same visualization with like a a quarter of the pages. <laughs> you know, it seems like right. you know, it seems like you know, the way Chase broke it down one time, he said, that, you know, there's a lot of fluff, and I I think that's a great way to put it. In the in the book, there is a lot of fluff. But the thing is, is like once it gets down to the actual nitty-gritty details and, and where the storyline is actually going and the plot of it is actually very good. There's very few, if any, plot holes that I can find along the way here. You know, in, in Harry Potter, for example, there is a plot hole in every single book that I found, at least one. Yeah. You know, right. where in, in here I, I haven't really found anything that was a heavy contradiction to something they brought up in the the past like maybe i haven't looked as deeply for it i mean i'm sure someone could probably find something you know if they do dig it with a fine-tooth comb but realistically i don't really see a lot of differences i I mean like plot holes outside that one that i mentioned very very briefly in passing when in the book they show up uh to brie before they get to the prancing pony and he's like yeah my name is mr underhill but i'm gonna roll with the rest of my buddies who have their exact names that everyone knows that I hang out with, but only my name's different. Their names aren't different. Their names are, you know, Mary, Mary Duck, uh, Brandy Buck. We got Peregrine Took, Samwise Gamgee, but I'm Mr. Underhill. <laughs> like, oh, all right. Right. like, all right. right, like, cool. No one's yeah. gonna figure that out. Sick. Like, no, but those are like that. that like, you know, that's the only kind of low-level plot hole that I could really figure out. Um, outside of that, it's done a really great job of keeping the storyline and the plot line pretty linear and very followable it's just you got you got to like sift through the the detail and sometimes it just runs on a bit long where i liked in the movie even though they made changes i haven't appreciated you know some of them there's also a lot of changes they've added and additions that i did appreciate a lot in which the book had done it you know we talk about the things such as you know the the battle between boromir and the orcs talk about things like um, you know, at, at the Council of Elrond, having you know the Gandalf stand up and start doing that scary voice thing, and just adds more effect to it. You know, the changing of uh, you know it being a uh, Glorfindel, like Glorfindel carrying yeah. them across the the thing, where it's Arwen in the films. There's just you know those things are really cool. And but and what I will say, and to the like, film's credit, outside of very few things. I didn't. I like I said. I didn't love like the Saruman thing with all that. Uh, men, you know, trying to bring down the mountain on Gandalf. That was, you know, just kind so of a, a direct. That. I thought it was great. It's just a direct, con- <laughs> just a direct just contradiction kidding. of the book, though. You know, it's just like a, like a directly yeah, opposed yeah. to what it was saying. So, you know, uh, I just. It, but what I'm one of the the big overarching thing of the films is even the differences, whether you like them or you don't like them, you like what it did. You can't really say it's really changed the plot line at all. Like, there's nothing that really thrown it off where it's like, okay, this is so dumb that now the rest of this doesn't make any sense because it can't go further from here because you screwed this up so bad. Like, there's not one part of it that's like that so far through this first film, you know. And I, you know, we'll go through the rest of them, but I'm hopeful that it doesn't go out like that. Where in other works that we've covered, like it changes the plot line so badly that it Goblin doesn't. Goblet of fire. <laughs> yeah, it changes the plot line so badly that it's not even the same story half the time. <laughs> so like that's what something that's why I, I give the the film just a little bit more of a rating than the the novel simply because it brought a lot of stuff that we read to life on screen, cut out a lot of the fluff, and I really appreciated that. There were some things I wish they would have added. Nothing's gonna be perfect. That's why I didn't give it a ten. So uh, overall, my rating for the novel in its entirety is an 8.3. My rating for the film in its entirety is an 8.5. So that is all I've got to say on that. And 
I don't know if you've got a few last words here before we wrap up for the day, but that's about all I got. Yeah, I mean, we don't really do debates on differences episodes because there's not a whole lot to debate, but I guess the one debate I'll have here, and it's not really a debate, it's like a question to you. What do you think, why is it that, let's just take an example like Fellowship of the Ring, just specifically this one, the film, because we this is the one we've covered so far, and compare them to, let's say, like the Goblet of Fire film in Harry Potter. Like, why do you think fellowship of the ring was able to follow the plot so closely despite it even being like it yeah even though it's a long film and i get it that goblet of fire is a much bigger book but why is it that you can have peter jackson that follows the storyline great and can come up with his own things but then you have things like the goblet of fire films it's not even following the plot of the entire book that it was based around and then they're trying to come up with their own stuff on the side and like their own stuff they're coming up with isn't even cool in my opinion what's your thoughts on that my thought on it and this is i don't know these people personally i don't know the directors personally i don't know like the creative team personally but i think a lot of ego goes into it they want to add their own thoughts to things and and so that way they have something that's always going to be there that is their idea and so instead of trying to bring like an accurate representation with minor changes you know for for that creative level it's like they want to change things around to where if you if you really read you know like we did and we've done the breakdowns on them like the harry potter novels and the harry potter films there's so many changes that deviate heavily from the storyline that it can't be the same like you like it was tough for me to call the movie like harry potter it was like what the hell is this you know and it wasn't even just gobble the fire it was yeah. like all oh, like, like like part two of uh deathly hallows like, like we're snapping fingers and thanos blasting voldemort here like what in the world like you know oh, order of the phoenix my favorite book they was sorely ruined but entirely ruined in the film it wasn't just, the same that's the thing you know i think it has a lot to do with with the ego and of people wanting to add their own flavor to it so they can always say that they had a part in creating something because here's the thing people love the film still to this day like if you don't compare it for accuracy people really enjoy it and we didn't really know how bad it was until we did a direct comparison ourselves you know but right. they you know they, so they're always going to have that too that but man i just feel like they didn't focus so much on accuracy they they focus on the creativity aspect of it and, and bringing cool pictures to life basically you know i like cool cool visuals to life i should say not pictures cool visuals to life and you know to them it wasn't really important about it needing to make sense because maybe they saw more of the kids book and didn't think people would really get that in depth with it and really try to compare it at that level because like hey you know this is uh, maybe they just didn't realize the the reach that harry potter has globally to not just you know a younger audience but to older audiences too so that could be an aspect and that could be a part of it. Who knows? All I do know is that I'm very thankful that up to this point, the Lord of the Rings films have held up pretty well to novel to the point where I've actually ranked the, the film higher than I ranked the novel. Yeah. You know, I've never really done that before. And I don't think I plan on doing that very often. <laughs> so it's not, it's not very often that you see that happen. So uh, those are my thoughts yeah. on it. What do you think? No, that, that's my exact thoughts. I, I mean, I don't... I've always kind of, I've always wondered though, just like I was saying, like, and here's the thing, like, so many directors and teams, um, they hesitate 
when it comes to sticking to source material, especially fantasy genre, because they wonder how it's going to be perceived by audiences and whether it gives like a realistic expectation. You don't have to give like something to be realistic in a fantasy genre. And Peter Jackson proved it. Like he proved it to the point of he won an Academy Award for making these films and stuck to the source material, but also throwing in his own things. So that's just my my thoughts are very in line with you. I think it goes into creating your own work, but also I think it goes into like knowing the source material. And I think a lot of directors probably knew the source material, but they didn't take it as seriously because they thought it was like a, a kid's genre. So they cut out so much stuff, it entirely changed the whole idea behind the whole thing. Um, but I mean, you know, so, but I'm just happy that it has taken me back to my childhood. I wasn't sure what to expect after our long run for an entire year of making me sad with films that oh, what to expect from this because <laughs> i was wondering if it goes the same route it hasn't it took me exactly back to my childhood i've loved every minute of it uh you know even taking notes i actually truly enjoyed it and it, it um i truly did it, it, notes aren't the most fun thing because you're doing preparation but it actually was fun this time so no complaints. I, I loved it. Uh, just looking forward to continuing the ride, man. The Two Towers is going to be awesome when we cover it. So, and I'll let you close this out. Sounds like a plan, brother. All right, guys. You know, thanks for tuning in. If this is your first time, welcome. Please do us a favor. Click subscribe, like, share, follow us on social media. If you don't know where to follow us, you can follow us on Instagram at Official Ridiculous Patronus, on TikTok at Ridiculous Patronus. On Facebook, Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy, Twitter, RP Factor Fantasy, Snapchat, RP Factor Fantasy. Uh, also, we have our own website, ridiculouspatronos.blogspot.com. And those are the places you can find us uh, on the social media aspect of things. Now, uh, the people who have followed us from the beginning, they know where to find the podcast. But if you're new, I'll tell you that as well. Uh, if you are an iPhone user, you can find us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. If you are an Android user, you can find us on Google Play. Spotify, we're on iHeartRadio, Podbean, that's our host site, they've been fantastic to us. You can also find us on uh, our YouTube channel, uh, Ridiculous Patronus is our YouTube channel. You can find us uh, on Amazon Music, Audible, Acast, Stitcher, anywhere you get your podcast. Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy are there, but we're out for the day because you know this has been another ridiculous production. Chase and Josh, Factor Fantasy. Signing off. off.